Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 112. Last week saw the completion of the opening stop on the 2022 WSL Challenger Series, the Boost Mobile Pro Gold Coast, won by California Wunderkind Katie Simmers and Australian powerhouse Calum Robson. Congratulations to both of them, and we look forward to having Calum on next week's episode of The Lineup. With the opening stop done and dusted, the Challenger Series has moved south for the second event of the season, the GWM Sydney Surf Pro, which is streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and on the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 112. Today's guest is someone who originally hails from the Sunshine Coast of Australia, but now resides a few hours south on the Gold Coast. A former championship tour surfer with a penchant for nailing excellent scoring rides, she originally navigated the elite tour without the backing of a major sponsor. But now, at the age of 30, she has recently signed with Roxy as an ambassador, which is a big deal and a success she attributes to being True to herself, she's doing the kind of surfing she wants to do. She's playing the kind of music she wants to play. Uh, she's a DJ under the moniker of Shimmy Disco. And in addition to all this, she is currently campaigning on the Challenger Series for a crack at returning to the Elite Tour in 2023. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with the Sunshine Coast's Dimity Stoyle. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's up here boxing. All right. We have Dimity Stoyle. Gold Coast Transplant by way of the Sunshine Coast. I think I got that right. Proven CT-level talent, DJ to the stars, Challenger Series campaigner, and so, so much more on the lineup today. Dimi, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, yeah, it's actually a real honor, so I'm happy. <laughs> the honor is all mine. But let's set the table first. Where are you today? Who are you hanging out with? What's been going on? Yeah, so right now I'm on the Gold Coast. I'm happy, loving life here on the Gold Coast. I have pumping waves, I DJ, so I've got so much on at the moment, but it's been so much fun. Like um, Challenger Series just started. Obviously, Snapper Rocks, my dream wave, was the first event. And when I heard that it was going to be on the Challenger Series schedule a year ago, I think I've been so excited and I just, I don't know, the expectation, I kind of had a shocker. So I lost first heat and <laughs> it really, it really hurt that one. But um, I'm just excited to do all the comps this year. So now I'm just loving my, loving home life on the Gold Coast for another week. <laughs> it's been a few days since that round one heat and I, I rewatched it a few times. Is it, One thing I noticed, and I don't know if this happens to you being a local there, 
But it's just watching it this week, it trips me out every time just seeing good waves roll through the point with like a few people there because I've been there so much and every time it's just wall-to-wall human even when it's really bad. And I'm like, yeah, it feels really like disorienting just watching waves come through with a few people. And I'm wondering, do, you've competed out there, obviously, championship tour and at other events too. Does that ever throw you off competing out there and just not having you know, the, the indicators of like another hundred of your closest friends out there, just having a few people. Does that ever, does that ever trip you out when you're competing there? Oh yeah. 100%. I guess for the first thing you don't have, you know, like a local legend like Vassar or, or <laughs> Sheldon or Mick or someone to be on the bomb. So, you know, that's the bomb. I'm like, oh, I want this wave. Cause that's a bomb. No. So those, um, honestly, like the expectation, I think just blew my head off. I was like, I I've surfed that, I've surfed that wave my whole life. And I've been lucky enough to actually surf two CT events, um, actually three, because I won I won the trials um, one year and I got to compete up against Tyler Wright, like in my first CT as a wild card. So it's just mind blowing. Like you can see the sand on the bottom of the wave, and even that, just having like all my family and friends there, it just throws me off as well because it's so exciting and yeah, definitely got to me. So no, it's it's an incredible wave, and I think. I just wish I got another 30 minutes out there. (laughs) It's funny because I always think of lineups. They're a little bit like an ecosystem, right? You mentioned Nick Vasicek or Parco or Mick or or Sheldon or whoever. You kind of have those like apex predators out in any lineup around the world. We're talking about Snapper Rocks. But like as a civilian who's like way down the food chain compared to someone like yourself, (laughs) but I use them as indicators. I don't like follow them around the lineup, but I'm like, Oh, if they're moving, that means something's coming because they know. And I'm wondering (laughs) if you feel the same way where it's like, Oh cool. Like I could read the ocean, but I'm so used to reading humans instead that it's like, it's really disarming when it's like, Oh man, there's no one here. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, that when I'm surfing with Mick, if Mick goes, yeah, go shim. I know it's going to be like a shitty one because he'll never right. call me. <laughs> he never calls me into the one where he just gets like the easy roll in, like backdoor, like snapper behind the rock pit, gets spat out. And then like a like a real like kind of wobbly but sick inside one. He's like, yeah, go shim. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go and I'll get flogged. So no, I, <laughs> I love surfing with those guys, but I know they just want the best ones for themselves. <laughs> I've noticed that too. They just clear, they clear everyone else out. So if you're getting called yeah. into one, it's like, and I was always kind of the thing again, like I'm not, would never put myself anywhere near someone like you, but you know, you travel around on tour and like for civilian surfers, it's like, if I'm getting a wave out here, like it's definitely one that they didn't want, which either means it's going to be <laughs> terrible or like d- dangerous. And it's just like, yeah. what am I doing on this wave? And when it comes to Vasa, like I'm actually excited that he's on that wave because I don't want any piece of it. Like it's the sure. biggest, ugliest, scariest behind the rock pit. And, and he can have those. Um, I'll just take the nice, like, you know, the nice roll in, easy barrel behind the rock spit, <laughs> long wall. Thank you. <laughs> That, he's such a good surfer, Nick Vasichak. He he wasn't in the event though, right? He didn't get a spot in. It was pretty tight. No, no. But he's 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 always there to put on performances for all the free surfers. So 
Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think that actually kind of speaks to just how competitive the Challenger Series level is. And I mean, you performed so, so well on the regional QS. You had a win at the Oakberry Tweed Coast Pro in March. You had a fifth at the AAP Consulting Women's Pro in Newcastle. You had a great run on the regional QS. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was talking to uh, Michael Dunphy a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about that new regional qualifying series system. And we were both agreeing that, you know, compared to the past where you'd have like QS 1000 events or QS 3000 events that were sort of lower tiered, we both had heard and he had experienced just the level of competition at that regional QS level is so high compared to what it used to be because the prize is now, as you pointed out, entry into this middle tier now in the Challenger series. Was that the same? Did you find the level of competition in the APAC region um, was was really, really high when you were competing this season? Yeah, it was out of control. Like it was so exciting. Um, Every event was just felt like a mini tour. And, um, you know, we got such a strong region here in Australia. I think, um, yeah, every single spot got taken by someone who has potential to qualify. So it was really cool just and it's great experience too because when you're on the Challenger Series and you're up against CT surfers, sometimes it's hard to make heats, you know, like you don't get that momentum and less heats where you're actually learning and stuff like that. So the regionals was great that gave us a chance to like, you know, make more heats and learn more, get in a rhythm of surfing a whole event. And for me, it was like getting a win again. That felt like so good and it reminded me what it felt like to win a big you know, like a big event. And I've done it in the past, like on the, the equivalent of the Challenger Series now, but um, I've never won a CT event. So kind of fired me up. I was like, oh, maybe I could try and qualify. And then it would be nice to win a CT one day. Well, it's, and it's all about like levels too, because I remember when you came onto the CT and you were just so powerful and so dangerous and really put up some big numbers. And I think that's being able to score you know, excellent scoring rides, you know, in the eights, nines and tens at the CT level isn't a guarantee, you know, like a lot of people qualify for the CT that probably never come close to putting those scores up at that level. And I think it's really important, not just for the surfer, but for kind of the surfing world to know that you're one of those people. Now, it's been a few years since you've been on the CT and you mentioned eyeballing the Gold Coast event for a year, but that was also coming out of kind of like professional surfing in the world shutting down pretty radically for a couple of years what was the what was like 2020 2021 like for you just as a professional surfer what did you get up to how did you stay motivated to come back and succeed because so many people were just going and I don't know I might have to try a different career path I don't know if this is ever going to be the same yeah it was definitely a really strange feeling um I was actually on my way to the airport no I'd I was literally at my front door about to leave my house to go to the Gold Coast Airport. Macy and I were flying to uh, New Zealand for the PIHA Challenger Series event. And Macy called me and said, uh, we're not flying to New Zealand today because it's just been cancelled or the event is not going ahead because of COVID. And it was like overnight, it's like your career just ends in a way like it that it was such a strange feeling. It was like, oh, so we're competitive surfers and now there's no tour. So what do we do? And thankfully, like in Australia on the Gold Coast, we were just so lucky we were still allowed to surf. Yeah. And that's pretty much how the surfing movie happened. Right. So that's we we were we were lucky we had I have Steph 
Gilmore living up the road from my house and Nikki came up to stay on the Gold Coast because uh, Melbourne was in lockdown and they weren't allowed to surf. So before the lockdown got announced, she's, she had pretty much had to make a decision like I either go to the Gold Coast now and stay for you never know how long. And yeah. she was coming up anyway for our friend's birthday. It was the 30th. So she came up and just stayed indefinitely. And then we were all just on the Gold Coast. Macy lives down the road. So we were so lucky we got to surf with each other. And it was actually the best year of waves I think the Gold Coast has had <laughs> in a, a long time. So, yeah, we were quite blessed. Yeah, I remember seeing everything coming out of the Gold Coast. And I think everyone, the world, was really in a, a huge state of shock. And I mean, it was so terrible. So many people passed away and, and we're still arguably not out of it. But I, I remember in those first few months just being locked down in California and you're like, what is this? And And it wasn't one of those things where no one knew if it was going to be, oh, is this six months, everything will turn back on or a year. Because I remember working at the WSL, we didn't like knock the year off until later on. We were like, oh, in four weeks, we'll reassess and another four weeks, we'll reassess. And so you're constantly kind of primed for it to come back and you're not fully shutting down and letting your body and your life kind of go, okay, it's going to be six months or 12 months or whatever it is. And that's kind of exhausting in and of itself. But I definitely remember seeing all this footage coming out of Australia being like, oh, my God, it's pumping over there. And I think it was springtime here, which is always a hard hang. And that's like, oh, what are we what are we doing? Yeah. So, you know, Demi, you're coming out of um, at least the lockdown part of the pandemic. You know, a lot of people have talked about like, maybe I'm not going to be a professional surfer anymore. Maybe I'm going to have to do something else. Did you consider that? And then did something happen where you said, no, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do the countdown events. I'm going to do the QS. I'm going to do the Challenger Series. Or the whole time were you just thinking, this is just a pause. I'm going to come back and, and, and resume being a professional surfer now that, now that the world's opening back up. Yeah, at that time, I was definitely up in the air with everything. I was just, you know, wasn't sure whether I was going to compete or, yeah, I wasn't really sure. I hadn't made any plans. And then the surfing movie that we we made, um, I think when that was released and everyone was kind of maybe a little surprised about my section and how well I surfed, I think it's because I've been grinding it out on the QS for so long and the waves are pretty poor on the QS and you only get like a 25-minute window where you get to show what you can do. I think maybe just people forgot that I could surf like, yeah, and then it was just nice to be able to free surf and make that that movie and show everyone that I've I've been surfing well the whole time and just hadn't put it together in contests. So that definitely fired me up. I think everyone gave me a lot of feedback, like really nice positive feedback and just said like that, yeah, that all the girls that were in that movie were on tour except for me. And they were like, there's no reason why you can't be on tour with those girls. Like your surfing's good enough. And when I got asked by WSL to commentate, at the four Australian events with Laura and had the best time ever. It was so much fun. And while I was there, I had this like weird feeling like, oh, I was watching everyone and commentating and I was like, oh man, I'm not done yet. Like I had this urge to like want to be in the contest again. And that was the first feeling that I had since lockdown that I was like, yeah, I want to keep going. I want to do this again. And that, that moment for me was, yeah, that was really cool because I was commentating all four contests and watching everyone rip so hard and I was, had this overwhelming feeling like I'm not done yet with competing, not just yet anyway. Now that feeling, I'm always curious about this too because you are such an elite level surfer. 
is it you now it might be one or two it might be both things i guess but i'm curious is it more you're watching the level of surfing at these events you're commentating it and thinking i'm right there i'm actually better than than some of these women i, I should i should have a singlet on or is it just more the general like you're around elite level surfing and it's just building this fire back up inside yourself to think like i i want more of that like i can do that still yeah it's definitely a bit of both like at no point mm. do i ever think like oh i'm better than them like i can do that but i was watching the level and i just thought that like i know that i can push myself to that level again and i'm still there like at, i figured that the point when I stop competing at surfing is the point where I'm getting smoked by like, I know everyone and I, I'm, I'm surfing at my best and I'm not making heats like that. That for me will be the point where I look at my level and just say, oh, maybe I've just, yeah, it's time's up. <laughs> but for now, I think like if I'm on my day, like I can win heats. And I think my whole career has been a little bit like that. Like when I qualified on tour, I was just filled with like, exciting moments like not really like didn't have a win of an event or like wasn't very consistent but I did have certain events where like I finished third place in like lowers and like a really fun high performance wave where I just got to show like some really cool surfing and that for me was exciting like even if I just like I my first event as a rookie was at Snapper Rocks and I think my very first heat, I got like an eight and a nine off the bat. And like, I ended up losing like round three because it was so pumping and my head was exploding. Like I wanted to catch every single wave. But <laughs> I think that's like, that's just me as a surfer. Like you never know what is going to happen. And sometimes I didn't, I don't even know what I'm going to do in a heat. I could just have the heat of my life and, or I could like not get a good wave. But I think that's the way I surf and it'd be fun to get back on tour and just show some, you know, like exciting moments again. Totally. And even that level of self-assessment, it must come in handy since relocating to the Gold Coast um, and just being around such a, like a community of such high level surfers. And it's a topic I bring up on this podcast all the time. Usually I'm on the other side of the, uh, the argument where I kind of bemoan the fact that, oh my God, like anywhere you go, like around the world, surfers are gravitating towards these centers young surfers as opposed to kind of staying at their home beach and developing their own style in california it's like lower trestles like any kid that can do an air reverse their family basically like mortgages the house buys a sprinter van and moves to san Clemente, and they've all got e-bikes and they're just terrorizing lower trestles <laughs> and i understand why like you know there's a very high level of surfing there it's very consistent wave but i do think a lot is lost in that because you leave you lose the ability to kind of develop in your own kind of ways, in your own kind of community, et cetera. In Australia, I think the parallel would be the Gold Coast, but the benefit of that, it sounds like specifically for someone like yourself is the waves are not only so good, but the level of surfing in this community is so, so high. You've got world champions, both on the men's and women's side that live there. You've just, so I guess my point is it feels like you would get a, you would both be motivated to surf better and you'd both have a, a better gauge of how well you're surfing compared to the world's best. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, definitely. Uh, like when Steph's home, we surf together nearly every day and it's just like, it's such an advantage for me. Like I'm so lucky to be able to surf with surfers like her. And then, you know, when Mick's home, I mean, all the guys, like you just kind of want to show off and you want to like show up your mates and 
yeah, it's just a fun like energy that we have in the water. And there's always people filming on the Gold Coast, like, you know, like every swell, it's always like who gets the best wave. And like, it's, it's just like a competitive game for all of us. Like we all want to just rip with each other and push each other to get better waves. And it's such a cool environment. It's like the, the coolie kids, like Mick Parko and Dingo, like we, we just, we do that on the girls side now. It's like, yeah, it's just like me, Steph, Macy, and then all the other girls, when they come into town, it's just, yeah, we, we're on. <laughs> and I correct me if I'm wrong here, but you've recently signed with Roxy. Congratulations to them. Thank you. Um, they're very <laughs> fortunate that they have you. But that's a that's a pretty recent thing for you because I think if I remember correctly on the CT, when you were on there a few years ago, you didn't have a, a primary sponsor. Is that right? No. So yeah, I'm um yeah, it's pretty pretty overwhelming actually. Like just to sign with Roxy at age 30, I think is almost like a breakthrough for the whole women surfing um, culture. Like it's it's been a long time since something like that has happened. And I think Roxy is like, I've just grown up dreaming of being a Roxy girl, you know, like I watched Lisa Anderson and uh, there was from the Aussies, like Chelsea Georgeson and then like Megan Abubo, all those Roxy girls who came before us, they were always like legends of the sport. And then Steph Gilmore, like I think they've always Roxy's always been um, a real supporter of like high performance surfing in the women's side, which is really cool. When I was on tour, I I was with Billabong growing up, like probably 13 to 22. And unfortunately, they they dropped me like right before I qualified because their company was kind of moving in a different direction um, at that time. Like they weren't really prioritizing performance. They were more prioritizing like kind of like looks and um, bikini, like, you know, just more that lifestyle surfer girl image. Like, so it was, it was, that was actually really hard because I thought um, I was like, yeah, I'm at the height of my career. And I'm like, was finished second in world juniors Coco. And I had a sticker on the nose at the time that was Billabong. And that was probably my last event with Billabong. So when I thought I was kind of like the peak of my competitive career it was just like they didn't really I don't know that that wasn't the direction they weren't that the support wasn't there for me so um luckily thanks to WSL they increased the prize money when I qualified the year that I qualified it was they increased it to yeah just just really looked after us like we I was able to afford to travel and do the events and make money still without a major sponsor so uh, that was really cool. Like the tour. Yeah, that was nice. I was perfect timing. Totally. And I remember that period of time too. And there was that tension in the surf industry around, you know, women surfing in the sense of, okay, what, where are they investing their sponsorship dollars? Is it around people who are performing, whether that's in competition or free surfing, or is it more in sort of the model set? And I think that's been a attention point probably since the industry was launched but i think it really came to a head around those years and um you know it's an interesting one you know because it's on the men's side it's you know almost exclusively around performance and kind of nothing about looks and not to sort of besmirch my own gender but some people who get paid a lot of money are not what you would call um traditionally attractive um (laughs) male models (laughs) 
Yeah, sure. Moodles. Yeah. But on the other <laughs> side too, like, and, and I do think kind of what you're getting at around, I don't think it was just the prize money for me, you know, having been here for about 17 years now, I think one of the other big investments was just in the venues um, and in sort of balancing out the um, the schedule yeah. and giving the women an opportunity to perform in really high quality waves and world-class waves. You know, fast forward to today where all the CT and CS events are combined events. And I really think it's it's performers like yourself um, and, and people like you who have actually pushed the industry into this new space of I don't I don't want to besmirch anyone who was getting paid before, but it does feel a little bit more substantive, right? In the sense of like, this is a person with an identity and they stand for something and they're delivering performance. And, you know, I understand modeling and all that too, but it, it does feel like people have gravitated back towards like, well, you don't you don't have to kind of be in one lane to move product for a company because that's not what consumers are. Consumers want people that have stories and, and consumers want people that are, you know, the best at whatever they do. And, and, you know, I think you absolutely qualify. It's awesome that you're kind of breaking that ceiling at age 30. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's actually so exciting to see where the whole uh, surfing industry has gone. I think it's just gone in such a positive way. And there was that hard time where like it was, you know, it was hard and, yeah, for the girls' side, it was more about looks rather than performance. And now it's just come so far the opposite, you know, like I think the brands are realizing the value that people with just people who are passionate about what they do and just be themselves and they have cool things going on. Like, and I, and I think they realize that there's people out in the world that gravitate to that and can relate to people who are just doing their thing. And that's why I'm just so excited to be signing with Roxy. Like they're a full family now. And I grew up surfing with all of those Roxy riders and and they've always felt like my sisters. And now for them to just back me, knowing exactly who I am and exactly what I do, and they they encourage me to do anything that I want, whether it's music, surfing. And so it's really cool. And I think I'm just like really excited to set an example for the younger girls growing up knowing that they don't have to be a certain way to to succeed in surfing and they can just be exactly who they want to be and and then as long as they do it well and be the best that they that they can be then people appreciate that totally agree well i think roxy really lucky to have you we're going to take a quick <laughs> break you. to get a word in from our sponsors and when we come back, we're going to wind the clock all the way back and find out just where you came from and how we got here. We'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Well, Dan, you, you mentioned that you are a recent Gold Coast transplant. How long have you been on the Gold Coast for? Living there, I suppose. I honestly feel like I've been on the Gold Coast my whole life. Uh, I did grow up on the Sunshine Coast and, you know, it's a beautiful place up there. I finished high school and then when I finished high school, uh, I started competing on the Pro Juniors full-time, basically. Like in Australia, we had a lot of Pro Junior events. We had a full tour. It felt like a mini, uh, a mini CT, which is really sick. And you know, like growing up, I had so many events on the Gold Coast. Nearly every second weekend, I feel like there was a comp at D-Bar or a Grom comp at, you know, Palm Beach or Burley, Southport, like the whole Gold Coast stretch. We had we had so much um, junior events, which was really cool. I grew up surfing with um, a, lot of the, a lot of the girls on the Gold Coast, so I just became really good friends with them and go and stay down at their house and whenever I was, you know, had a – had an event on and um, yeah, but after high school, I was still on the Sunshine Coast, but when I was on tour, that's when I made the move. Um, yeah, just full time, wanted to be down there. I was training and surfing and it was all happening. So yeah, been, and just love it. Yeah, well, of course. And But what part of the Sunshine Coast were you born and raised on? And, and you know, what was it like? What were... Your mom, dad, what they do? Did your brothers, sisters, and and w- yeah. what was all that like? Kind of where you came from. I was born and raised in Budrum on the Sunshine Coast, and it's ten minutes inland of Maroochydore, which is central Sunshine Coast. So twenty minutes north, we got Noosa, beautiful point breaks where I grew up surfing. Just endless days at Noosa, and uh, my parents, they. My dad grew up surfing, like he has surfed his whole life. He loves it. Like he's just a, he's just a mad free surf dog, like (laughs) full Aussie free surf lord. So he got me into surfing. Actually, I got myself into surfing because he would just love surfing so much that he'd go surf and we'd always take little road trips down to Byron Bay on the weekends when mum and dad would pick my brother and I. I have a brother, he's two years older. And they used to pick us up early on a Friday and we'd all pile into the car. They had it packed already and we'd just go down to Byron, stay at the little motel right on the beach there and we'd literally just surf um, the pass like all day. And at that time, I think, um, yeah, so my my very first wave was I was five years old and mum, mum, I just used to cruise on the beach with mum and 
dad and my older brother would go surf and mum said she just couldn't stop me from running in and wanting to just chase them and hop on the board with them. So dad um, took me out, pushed me into a few little waves and I've got the funniest little photos. Like I was such a show off. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's um, life was good growing up. Mum and dad always had my best interests at heart. Like they just want whatever I wanted to do. Like my brother as well, they were so supportive and they took me to every junior event, like every Grom comp down on the Gold Coast and stay like, stay in little places and just surf all weekend. And I just, um, I knew I was going to be a pro surfer my whole life. Like my grade two teacher told my mum that I said that I was going to be a pro surfer when I grow up. Like they asked us what we were going to do when we grow up. And she told my mum, yeah, Dimity said she's going to be a pro surfer. <laughs> it's crazy because I, when I was in high school, I never knew what my, my friends never knew what they wanted to do and I couldn't understand. I was just like, how do you not know what you want to be when you grow up? Like, I'm, I'm going to be a pro server. <laughs> so, yeah, life's been good to me. I mean, graduating high school probably puts you into kind of rarefied atmosphere as far as professional surfers go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean that that in and of itself is pretty marketable, I would imagine. Like, <laughs> but but I, I am curious. Like, as you pointed out, like you guys would take trips down the Byron, you spend a ton of time on the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast. Insofar as I am aware, does not have consistent high quality surf. It has high quality surf, just not super consistent, and it has consistent yeah. surf, just not super high quality surf. Did you have any other kind of hobbies or sports that you're into in addition to surfing? Or was it just from the time that you were hooked, it was surfing all the time for you? Uh, I was, I loved all sort of sports. Like in school, I was pretty sporty. I loved doing everything. Um, I was always obsessed with surfing. Like surfing was number one for me and it was always just the only thing I wanted to do. And although Sunshine Coast, like everyone says it has a bad reputation for always small waves. Um, we do get the swell gets blocked a lot by the islands offshore. So there's Morton Island, Stradbroke Island, Bribie Island. They kind of block a lot of the south swell. But in saying that, it's almost like the perfect training ground to become a CT surfer. <laughs> like if you look at the talent that's come from there, like Julian Wilson, myself, Isabella Nichols, Killy Andrew. There's just so, Zane like, Harrison. We're getting as I'm dating yeah. myself here a little bit. There's um like tour surfers, Serena Brooke, I think. Um, sure. She was on tour yeah. as well. Well, Joel Joel's from up there too, originally, right? Yeah, Joel was born on the Sunshine Coast. I think he um was I think he's there. up there until he's about twelve or something yeah, like that. If I, remember I think so. And then he moved to the Gold Coast. But it's it's honestly, I think the lifestyle of the Sunshine Coast is the perfect breeding ground for pro surfers. Well, so so Demi. So often in these conversations, especially with elite level professional surfers like yourself, I love talking about, well, you know, if you weren't a professional surfer, what do you think you'd be doing for a job? But I feel like you're already doing that job in with your love of music <laughs> and DJing. And so when when did that come into your life? Has it always been there? Is it a recent addition? Like, like explain that to us in the timeline of, of Dimity Stoyle. Yeah, so DJing for me, it came into my life because my brother is a, my brother was a DJ. So when I was in high school, he used to DJ at all the clubs around my local town and he had the big club deck set up, which they're really expensive. Like normally your bedroom DJs don't really learn on like the big sort of like 
club standard DJ decks. So he had those in his bedroom. So I was really lucky that, um, you know, I had access to those. And when I was younger, like partying and stuff, I always just, it was always me that had the iPod. I was like, oh, I'm going to put the playlist on Mm. at the, you know, like the house party. So I always had this love of music and being sort of like finding, you know, the best new music that people wanted to dance to. And I always loved that side of things. And when I got to learn on like full DJ equipment, that's when I was like, this is actually the perfect job that I can do while surfing because I didn't have much luck getting a job in hospitality because they like just didn't want people that would go away Mm. every second week for a surf comp. So my first job was at the uh, local surf shop. They used to sponsor me and they looked after me by giving me some shifts. And um, so I worked there for a few years and it was really fun. Like it was such a cool job. And um, but then when I realized that like, hey, I can actually get paid to DJ, like this is crazy. (laughs) I ended up getting a job at the local club where um, I sort of learned off um, my brother and and his mates, they were all into it. And, and it just, I actually just loved it so much. And it was almost perfect. I could surf all day, DJ at night, or like DJ the sunset in the afternoon. Like, and I was like, this is perfect because it's so flexible. I can DJ internationally. Like it's, yeah, it's, and since then, like, I absolutely love it. Like it's a full career now. And I think during, when I did start you know, when I fell off tour, I was kind of thinking like, oh, maybe I'll just DJ and just free surf. And that's a pretty cool lifestyle. Like it's definitely makes, makes me enough money to pay rent and surf and have a good time. So yeah, it was a full career for, I have a, I have a backup career now. And I think knowing that definitely took a lot of pressure off, um, needing to do well when I was competing. Right. So when I did turn up for an event, I was like, well, you know, win or lose, I still, I have a job and I have a good life. So it's just, it, it made competing more fun. And yeah, it was just more like weight off my shoulders. When you mentioned the hospitality gig that was hard to hold down because you were leaving to compete every couple of weeks, but, but how are you, do you start working as a DJ when you're still living on the Sunshine Coast? Is this before you qualified for the CT? What's the timeline there? So I think I was DJing just, bedroom style DJing and like house parties and just friends parties while I was on the CT. When I was actually on the CT, I didn't actually work at the clubs just yet. I was right. more like a hobby DJ. Mm. So my, cause my focus was solely on just competing and I just had so much on. I never really had time to right. pursue the DJing. So it wasn't until I fell off tour that I actually started working DJing and I was like, actually I need a job. So I got a job at the club and and then I got a job at a few other venues and bars and house parties and people were hitting me up and it just started like rolling from there. It's like once you do one really fun party, like more people are like, oh, that was sick. I want to hire Shimmy to DJ. And and then I made a full thing. And I think my my vibe was just to play like really cool, fun music that people want to dance to, but they haven't really heard before. Like, yeah, so just to mix like house music and in with some just really cool like disco and funk and stuff like that yeah that was that was for me that fun job and it's not it's not easy like taking over an ipod especially as a dj because (laughs) even in those sort of like 
early probably like like ventures into this space like you have to have enough of an identity to where it's like well look anyone could have played that playlist that's fine but also not so idiosyncratic where it's like dude no one wants to listen to iron wine at a party buddy like just calm down like this is (laughs) bumming us out but like do you did you have kind of musical influences growing up did you ever play instruments like or was it just something where you're like you know what I, i like what i like and i've got this talent for for making people at a party feel good yeah I I grew up um loving music like I learned the guitar I think I was nine years old when my brother and I did guitar lessons together and it was so fun like it was um the both of us and then two of our other friends and we'd go like literally every week we'd do like once a week where we'd go to these guitar lessons and we'd literally just play songs together and learn the song play it and then we'd move on learn a new song play it so my, I always did guitar and I never really got too technical with like music theory. I think um, my guitar career was just playing songs and just enjoying like playing with people and stuff like that. So then I, I mean, Steph's so talented at the guitar. Like she can just, I don't know, she's got a music knowledge like greater than a lot of people just naturally. So I play guitar with her, but I haven't, we haven't played together in a couple of years because it just, I don't know, I'm DJing so much now. But <laughs> I was at the parties. I, I was always the one that I, I knew I had the best songs. Like I knew I was like, oh, people are going to dance to this. And like even still, like even when I'm not DJing, because when I DJ, I play a lot of house music and I even am really into playing like the raves now and like techno and stuff like that that you know, eventually want to play at festivals and things like that. But when I'm still at just a barbecue or a, a house party with friends, like I still like putting on a, a playlist that's going to set the mood, even if it's like a beautiful brunch out in the garden, like I'll put like some exotic disco and some like Italian or like Brazilian music. And I was just like playing, I like the playing certain playlists for the mood and creating that vibe where you, music can take you to another place and I love that with I, where I play at Burley Pavilion my goal is kind of like I want people to walk in there you're sitting right on the water you're watching the waves at Burley and you're drinking cocktails or like eating food and I just want people to be transported to like oh we could be on the island somewhere like or we could be in Europe or you know just get transported by the music that they're hearing. So that's really fun. And I'm pretty passionate about that. Yeah. Surfing as sort of a lifestyle is certainly not immune to nocturnal activities, historically speaking, although I'd argue in kind of recent years, (laughs) it's become um, considerably more monastic. Has, (laughs) Has the sort of dual career identity for you of, you know, nighttime when it, when it suits, um, you know, DJ party person and, you know, daytime professional surfer. How do you balance something like that? And have you had struggles or sort of teething and getting that balance right of like, I stayed out too late or I surfed too hard and it's compromising the other part of what I'm doing? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's actually taken me a couple of years to find the balance correctly. <laughs> um, when I first got into it, I was just doing everything nonstop. I was DJing heaps of parties, doing like big festival like festivals all weekend and then surfing contests and 
yeah, I was so tired, like actually just burned myself out a little bit. And, and so it's definitely taken a couple of years to get that balance. And now I just ask myself, like, what is my focus for the next uh, month? And whether it's like, okay, so Snapper is my focus. I want to do well at the Challenger Series event. So I'll just kind of block out the month before and just say no to a lot of gigs and um, just do like more special events. And um, yeah, and then after that, I, I kind of live very like short term. It's I, I couldn't even tell you if I'm going to do the whole Challenger Series because right now my focus is on Snapper and Manly and then I'll go from there. Right. But in saying that, uh, you know how you were saying it's a surfing is a nocturnal sport. Well, maybe previously there, sure, yeah. there's still it's still so fun when you know on the CTs when one of my friends wins the event and they always come to me first, like Shimmy, I want you to DJ for the party for the after party, and that is like it's such an honor and it's it's so fun. Like Caroline had the best party after Narrabeen, and I think like every tour surfer was there and it was just it's just so fun to bring music bring everyone together and um just such a celebration yeah no it makes a ton of sense and i mean you're a little bit like batman in that sense where you're like okay i gotta (laughs) you know joker and the riddler are back i've got to work on being a nocturnal person all right now like the the challenger series back i gotta work on being bruce wayne for a little bit so it's (laughs) it's an impressive juggling act no question but it's interesting you say it so the challenger series eight event series as you pointed out we're at snapper rocks we're finishing as we're recording um we go to manly next week and then it's belito in july uh u.s open huntington beach and then arisera hasagor uh, Sakurama and Haleiwa. So you're yeah. going to be ranked based on your best five results out of those eight events, but you're saying you're not necessarily committed to all eight events at this point. Yeah. Like I, I, I was committed to all eight events. Um, I think I will. And because it's the fun tour. Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the challenger series is not the challenger series. It's actually the fun tour. So we're just so lucky. We, we, we do have like a mini tour now. And I think it's so cool the way WSL has done that. It's, it's almost like the level is so crazy high that like, I don't think 18 surfers on the world tour is enough Mm. for the females. Like it's, it's so crazy. And, um, so it's nice that we do have a space now where like us who are just not good enough to make the cut for the world tour, we have a place to perform and it's, you know, we get better quality events like Snapper Rocks, Manly, Bolido. We have like France in prime time, like Haleiwa. It's um, honestly, I think it's the way that pro surfing had to go because it, the level's so high now and not, not everyone can fit on the tour when it's such a small number of, of girls that are on the world tour. So I think it's it's awesome that it's the fun tour and we get to show what we have and we still get to compete against the world's best. And it's it feels like a CT when you're there. Totally. And I, I think it's a good point too. And I know that we're in 2022 is the first year of the full flighted three-tier system, right? Where it's like, we're actually doing our yeah. 10 CT events, our eight challenger series events, our regional qualifying series events. I think we're going to learn a lot 
And I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the year, after a couple of years of this, we saw a lot of fluidity between the CT and CS level. I mean, even last year, you saw someone like Brisa Hennessy, who fell off the championship tour, performed on the Challenger Series, and now she's ranked world number one on the CT. Yeah. And you have someone like Sally Fitzgibbons, who is unquestionably a CT level talent, and she fell off at the midseason cut. She's on the Challenger Series. And I think what it'll do is it give us a really, really good look at maybe the numbers on the CT should go up for the women. You know, maybe there is that depth of talent that makes a ton of sense. And I, I think we're going to learn a lot through this. But as you said, I, I think it it is the fun tour. It is really exciting where you're seeing this clash of, you know, elite level talent that's trying to retain their position for the CT next year and up and coming talent um, and in even sort of like former elite level talent like yourself, all battling for these positions to be like, no, we we all we all want to take it to the show. So I think it's really exciting. I, I do want to circle back to um, to Big Brother for a second. Um, what, what's your what's your brother's name? Uh, my brother's Dylan. Dylan, we're gonna we're gonna he's gonna catch a few strays here in a second, but apologies in advance. So, at <laughs> what point did you realize that you were not only a better surfer than Dylan, but arguably a more <laughs> uh, commercially viable DJ than Dylan? <laughs> I know. I seriously like. I feel so bad. He's like he was surfing doing contests, and but he he he's such a weapon. Like he would just go 100 miles an hour at every section and just try and do the biggest turn that he could do. And he never did well in contests because he was just like, he's just like a crazier version of me. Like I feel like I do that, but I pulled it back for contests and still do some crazy things. But yeah, and he's just like such an, a go-getter guy. And he like definitely inspired me to, to do everything like no matter what he does, he goes 100 miles an hour at it. And at the moment, he's down in Jindabyne. It's like a snow snow town during the winter. And in the summer, it's like full BMX. Like he's just down there doing his thing. Like he's full adventure man. And I think um, he's inspired me a lot. But it, it must have been – he always used to – he always used to dig at me when we were, when we were in high school because I think his friends used to write him off just like, oh, Dim's surfs better than you or <laughs> like and now she's DJing and she's, she's, <laughs> she's killing it and he'd just be like, oh, whatever. But he's, he's always had my back and he's like so supportive and I love him for that and I always feel bad. It must have been hard, yeah, just having a sister that does everything. <laughs> I've, talk, I've spoken to Laura about it too. Laura Enova. Of course, yeah. Her we and Chris, kind of yeah. Vent to each other. We're just like, oh, just, you know, how do we deal with the older brother that uh, <laughs> has to live in our, in our shadow? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as an older brother myself, I'm the eldest. Like, you guys don't need a support group. It's the three of us that probably need it. Like, you guys are doing just fine. But it, but it, <laughs> it, to that end, like, you know, there's a lot to be said for someone like a Dylan or a Chris. I'm not going to put myself in their class, but, you know, like, they, in a lot of ways, like, by going at 100 miles an hour at every section, whether they're surfing or not, like they're paving the way, right? And in a lot of ways, it's like, yeah. oh, they're like a little bit of a guinea pig, certainly for parents, because everyone's like, I don't know to do this kid. But it's, I mean, it, it's great. It's great that you guys have that kind of relationship and you're able to kind of play off of one another. And it's obviously worked out 
sounds like for both of you, but certainly for yourself, right? In the sense of yeah. it probably pushed you to be the surfer you are. It probably pushed you to be the DJ you are. And that's a, that's a really beautiful thing at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. Like no matter what he was doing, like I wanted to do everything that he was doing. Like he was just my idol growing up. And yeah, so even now, like I can't wait to go down when start snowing and go snowboarding with him. And I'm such a cruiser in the snow now. Like it's crazy. Like I just like cruising down the mountain, like having a great time. And he's just like top to bottom as fast as he can go. Like <laughs> he's an animal. <laughs> I love it. So I know you said that pretty much as long as you can remember, you were going to be a professional surfer, but a lot of us have that dream, <laughs> you know, actualizing <laughs> that is a completely different thing. Some of us still have that dream. Um, no, I'm kidding. Kind of. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the, the point I'm making is that at some point you had to have like a proof of concept, you know, where it's like it was a result or a magazine cover or a video section that made you believe like or sponsorship or whatever that made you think like this is real now. I, this is real. D do you did you have a moment like that or was it more of a gradual like I did this and then I did that and then all of a sudden I'm on the CT? Yeah, I think just making me think back on it now, I it, it must have been so gradual I remember when I was probably like 12 years old, I was in a board riders club called North Shore Board Riders. I'm still in it now. But I had this best friend who was, she was like same age as me. She was sponsored by Roxy. And she was just so like onto all the, she knew like, she said to me, she's like, oh, like, have you heard of Coco Ho? And, and I hadn't heard of Coco Ho. Like I had literally watched a Roxy, I think it was Shimmer movie. And I watched that on repeat. Like we watched that together because she was, um, she had it on VHS. I think it's called VHS, <laughs> the videotape. <laughs> so we watched uh, I wouldn't Shimmer. know. I'm not. Uh, no, yeah, it's called VHS. You're correct. <laughs> so we watched Shimmer on repeat. And I remember seeing Carissa Moore in that, in that video and I was like, oh, my God, like she's so good. Like she surfs so insane and like the waves that she's surfing are so good, like that little Queen's wave in Waikiki. And I think I was just like I'm nowhere near that. Like I'm 12 years old, like surfing Sunshine Coast, like one-foot waves. <laughs> and then my friend actually said, Oh, you think Chris is good? Like there's Coco Ho. There's like there's so many of them over in Hawaii. And like it was such a pipe dream at that point. Like never did I ever think that I would actually be surfing with them one day. Like it wasn't for maybe 10 years later after that moment where I did World Juniors and was surfing with them. And that's when I met them and I was like, wow, they're actually just the exactly the same as us, just from a different country, which is it's that in itself is another crazy thing. Like I feel like when I was on tour, um, my dad came to a few comps and Coco had Uncle Mike and I feel like my dad and Uncle Mike are like the same person. Like they just get super <laughs> nervous while we're surfing a heat. Like they're super quiet and like, I don't know, just do their own thing and they just love surfing and they just love us to death. And I think um, dad and Mike got on so well at that time because they were just like, 
confide in each other when we had hard heats or like <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah so we, it's pretty cool in that way it's like a such a worldly sport that yeah when you're a kid you don't even dream that you're going to be there one day but it just became like I, I knew I was going to end up there later on in life <laughs> totally and I mean we talked about it a, a little bit before but uh, it is a topic that comes up quite a lot in, in these conversations and that is just the almost incalculable gap in terms of performance between really anything but let's just say the QSCS and the CT and 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 a lot of times we talk about like oh there's this young you know hyped surfer that's getting all this attention the surfing industrial complex for all our listeners out there that's your uh, indicator to drink because I say that all the time drinking game but the surfing industrial complex they they hype all these young surfers to the point where you think oh my god the second they got on tour they're going to win a world title and it never yeah. is the case because the level and the speed and the strategy and the talent at the CT the broadcast almost doesn't do it justice because you're like oh my god like it is it is a completely new game once you get to that level but for a surfer like yourself you know, you immediately turned up and started putting up eights and nines. And I I'm curious as to those first few years on the CT, if you found it very difficult um, to to hang in there with the world's best. It was at a time when, you know, Steph Gilmore and Chris Amore are trading world titles, but you're right in the mix in terms of delivering excellent scores, in terms of actually delivering really impressive results. So did you find it complicated transitioning to the championship tour or or was it something that you'd you'd worked on so much that by the time you got there you felt like you belonged oh no it was a wild experience I was mm. just like a pure rookie at heart like just had no clue what I got myself into yeah like I said I turned up at snapper and had a blazer of a first heat like just got an eight and a nine my very first CT heat ever and then there was just all this talk like oh she's the rookie she's on fire like who is this girl? It was like that was probably me. I, I think, was probably like typing up those press releases of Dimity Stoyle, taking it to the establishment. I was excited. Yeah, and I think I was just like an excited rookie. Like I just just had didn't have experience. I just was had froth levels and and I was just so excited to surf against um, my heroes. And I think I just wasn't as smart as um, at that time. Like I just. You know, like I did, I, I had good results when the waves were good because I, I did qualify at a time when it was the dream tour. Like we had the best stops ever. We had like Snapper, Fiji, Trestles, mm. like I don't know France. Yeah, Hawaii, twenty. Maui. You're, you're you're totally right. Twenty fourteen because and just to interject the the. ASP at the time got acquired at the end of 2012. 2013 was the transition year, but 2014, as you pointed out, was not only your rookie season, but it was the year yeah. that that sort of the new administration had invested in that platform of yeah. you know, prize money parity, but also just those venues that you're outlining. Yeah. You know, Dream like Fiji tour. bringing Maui back. Yeah. It, it was a big deal. I know, like just to get locations like Fiji and Maui with nobody out, it was like that to me was the dream tour and even trestles and really high performance waves like that's that's what gets me excited like anytime the events were kind of tricky like Portugal or Margaret River or mm. that's when I kind of like I fell 
I struggled to get motivation. I was like, oh, this is actually really hard. The, the waves are really hard to surf. And yeah, so I kind of lost um, just, just not having that like experience and yeah, stuff like that. I just got, I got excited when the waves were pumping. <laughs> do you think too, in, and my memory might be a little fuzzy, but do you think part of it, because this is also kind of peak, I'm going to travel with my, my personal trainer and my surfing coach and my my chef and my sponsorship yeah. team and all those things, right? And I, I think, you know, you traveled with your dad uh, uh, to a lot of events, which was great. And you obviously got along yeah. with a lot of the, the surfers on tour, but you didn't have that, oh, I'm, you know, Nike's bankrolling like this entire like ecosystem around me to travel with me. Did you... Did you feel like that was a, a disadvantage for you at the time, not having sort of primary sponsorship? Um, I think it was, I mean, looking at other situations like, you know, when when big companies put huge sponsorship dollars into a surfing, you just see the pressure just um, completely change the person surfing. And mm. that I, I was lucky in a way that I didn't have to worry about that. Like, yeah, I'm not getting financially looked after but I didn't have pressure in that sense I was just doing my own thing and it was such a fun year like Nikki qualified that same year as I did actually a lot of other rookies but I spent a lot of time traveling with Laura and Nikki and Steph because uh, my first year not so much with Steph but my second year my second year on tours we we traveled more with our friends and we had that really fun crew on tour it was me, Laura, Nikki, and Steph, and then Sage, Coco. It was so fun. And I remember the Roxy team manager at the time, Monkey, she was um, looking after Steph and Steph was like on her way to the world title number, <laughs> I don't know, six X, or seven. So, well, it's something in there. <laughs> My memory is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she used to get Laura to come and stay, Laura and I to come and stay with Steph to get her in that fun, like happy program and, um, we had a really good house at Trestles and Steph won the comp and Laura and I were like carrying her up the rocks, like cheering her up the rocks. And um, then we went to Europe, had a really fun time there. And she ended up winning a world title that year. And I was just like, I'm just happy like being on the tour and surfing with all my friends. Like this is sick. I think Steph was tripping. She's like, I don't know how people can just be satisfied on tour if they don't want to win like a world mm. title. and I'm just like the complete opposite. I just loved, I love being super competitive and trying to win heats and like trying to put on a good show, I think is more my, yeah, that's what gets me excited is just trying to perform and just, yeah, do some exciting surfing. But the world title thing, like, yeah, that's next level. Well, I think that's actually the correct way to put it. You know, it's like, it's about levels and, you know, you absolutely have the talent to compete for a world title once you're ready to do that if you're ever ready to do that you know what i mean but it, it is one of those things where it's like all right I, I got to here and then i got to there and then i got to there which is a shitty way to describe it for all of our audio listeners but i'm moving my hand up a few <laughs> inches every time i say that but yeah, yeah. as you pointed out being able to perform is contingent on having a lot of things in place one of those things being world-class equipment i think if i remember correctly and you can heat check me on this but like I think you were on JS Industries the the first couple of years on the CT, and and since then you've moved over to DHD. 
both world-class shapers, both based on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Hopefully they're supporting you get the right equipment. It's certainly showing in your surfing, but but that that really can't go overlooked, right? In the sense of getting elite level boards to to do the surfing you need to do against the world's best. Oh, 100%. Uh, my favorite saying now is like, why drive a Toyota when you can drive the Ferrari? So I'm, <laughs> I'm literally riding the Ferraris of surfing right now on Darren Hanley shapes. Yeah. Um, my first year on tour, I was riding JS and I rode JS surfboards for about five years. And when I was on tour, um, I actually was hanging out with Steph and Laura a lot and Darren is like really close in their corner. So, you know, he's such a legend. I, I, I met him that year, like, and got to know him really well. And from the minute I met him, I just knew that we had like such a cool relationship where he was just so supportive of the girls. And I saw that and I was just like, I want to work with Darren. And he actually said to me, he's like, I want to make you boards. Like, let's do this. And, and I was like, let's do this. It'll be fun. Like, I just had a connection with him straight away and and he's got so much passion for um, looking after his team and um, just watching them surf, going surfing with them, um, hanging out with us. Like So that was the best decision that I ever made for my surfing. My second year on tour, I was riding um, Darren Hanley's shapes and some of my best results were like at lowers, which is like the most high performance wave on the tour. Um, and I think, yeah, once I got his boards dialed, yeah, just, I've never looked back. Like I, I couldn't imagine riding any other shape, shapers boards because Darren's just a magician and, um, he knows exactly what we need and they're the Ferrari. <laughs> I mean, uh, no free ads on the lineup, but I'm, uh, ha <laughs> happily, happily drive, um, a Subaru Outback. But my point is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a point on that, but but one of the things I want to bring up is 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 a question I love asking elite level surfers like yourself, which is you know, the Ferrari example is completely perfect. You know, it feels like CT surfers really fall into two camps. You know, on on the one side you've got surfers who are like, I ride my Ferrari board when I'm competing or when I'm training for competing, but you know, I'll ride like an epoxy or a quad or a fish or a mid length or whatever. I like riding different kinds of shapes to round out my surfing, to learn different things. And then the other camp on the CT at the elite level are the people who are like, I only ever ride my Ferrari, you know, my Ferrari <laughs> board, right? It doesn't matter if it's yeah. six foot and perfect or one foot and dog shit. I have to ride this. I have to keep this knife as sharp as possible at all times. Yeah. <laughs> Which camp do you fall into in terms of uh, equipment testing? I am the ride any board no matter what. Mm. Like it's um, it's all based on where I grew up surfing, Sunshine Coast. Like Noosa is the most incredible wave on the planet. It's got to be my favorite wave on earth. Um, it's magic. And there were days where it's literally – not possible to ride a shortboard, but there is the most dreamy one foot longboard wave that you've ever seen in the whole world. Like it's just, you know, 500 meters long. It's perfect. It's like, so I'd take a longboard out and like Julian used to do the same and all the kids growing up where we were, like we were all just riding, we were all just riding like whatever we could get our hands on, like little twin fins, single fins. I have an Alea, which I'm obsessed with as well. I haven't ridden it 
in a couple of years though. But yeah, like when I'm back at Noosa, I always pull out. It's always just like perfect board for the perfect conditions. That's what I'm all about. I love it. Now, there's one other component that that I've been really fascinated in in terms of the board builders, um, and elite level surfers, in, in, certainly in recent years, but it's probably been something that's been happening since time immemorial. The idea, it's like surfing is like a lemming culture, right? Where ev- no one really has like an abundance of confidence, except maybe Gabriel. And <laughs> everyone else is just like, what, okay, that, whatever that person's writing is working, I'm going to go over there, you know? And, you know, going back to the, the JS Industries point, like JS Industries, as of recording, doesn't have any championship tour surfers on tour after the cut, which is yeah, wow. amazing. Right. In a lot of ways. And, you know, Channel Islands around where I live, they were going through they are going through a rebuilding program from where they were, you know, five, ten years ago. And you look at something like Sharp Eye Surfboards, which has really built like this Goliath looking team in recent years on on tour. You know, I'd imagine based on our conversation, you stay fairly loyal to DH. But does your mind ever wander? Has it ever wandered in like, well, so-and-so is writing this and that's working really well. I should go check that out. Uh, since I've been with DH, my mind has never really wandered. It's just, um, for me, it's the relationship. It's like I know that he actually cares about my surfing hmm. and not to say JS didn't care, but, you know, the only time he would ever watch me if, if I was on tour was maybe if Paco was the heat after me and it just happened to be down there. So uh, <laughs> that's like... That, that was the opposite with Darren. Like Darren's, you know, Darren's been down. And he even came down to Cabo. He, he watched me win that event. And just to have him in my corner is like the best feeling. It's um, That's for me is like I know that he's going to make me the best boards. And even if someone else is ripping super hard on a sharp eye, like I don't know sharp eye. I don't um, mm. never worked with him. So I just trust that. DH um, is going to make me the best boards for for me and for my surfing because um, yeah he's he cares. It makes a lot of sense, and I I get like the the very human kind of motivation of like Jesus. Did you see the way that person was surfing? Like I got to I got to check out what they're on. But yeah. I do think it's so easy to get yourself wrapped around the axle that way to the point where you're going like you the grass is always greener. Right. Where you're like, oh, my God, yeah. that board. Oh, my God, that shaper. Oh, my God, that surfer. And it's like, <laughs> like, it's like as, as you've kind of highlighted, you know, your relationship as it is with someone like Darren is one that you just feel confident that he's building the best equipment for you. And he cares about your surfing, which is a really beautiful thing at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. And on <laughs> on tour, there's not too many surfers boards that are the same size that I ride. Like I literally oh, have yeah. probably. Coco and Caroline to choose from if I if my boards didn't show up in an, in a like at a at a contest if they got lost in the airlines I'd only have like two very small surfers to pick from. <laughs> Isn't that crazy though? Because it does happen, right? It'd be like it'd be yeah. like it'd be like an F one race where it's like, hey, our car didn't turn up. Do you mind if we like use? <laughs> you know, like it's so crazy that, yeah, that happens. It's in crazy. I know it's wild and I was um competing in Haleiwa last year and we were on the road for three months straight and I actually didn't have enough room in my board bag to pack like any boards that were over five seven so <laughs> the swell was pretty big 
And I was like, Coco, what boards have you got for me? <laughs> she lent me like two step ups, which was like so cool. So um, I didn't actually end up riding them in the event because um, Lucky the Swell wasn't too bombing. Right. Um, but yeah, I did ride a um, couple of Coco's boards in the free surfs on the big days. And I know it's really cool that I've got her, like she's got my back. And if she ever needs boards here on the Gold Coast, like she's got my surf shop downstairs that she can pick from. <laughs> I love it. We got a couple more topics to get to as well as some listener questions, but we're going to take one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. You mentioned during the non-competitive, uh, you know, pandemic uh, years that you guys got real busy uh, working on an all-girls uh, surf film, the, the surfing film, which you know you and Steph Gilmore, Nikki Van Dyke, Tyler Wright, Mason Callahan made a film with with Dan Scott and and Ava Warbrick, who's actually uh, Claw Warbrick's daughter. Claw was one of the founders of Rip Curl, so there's a some cool dynastic DNA there. But it's an amazing film. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background in terms of how it, how it came to be and, and how you got involved? Yeah, so we're so proud of it. It's like, I think it was one of those moments where we were all stuck on the Gold Coast during lockdown. And yeah, it was me, Steph, Tyler, Macy, Nikki, all together. We were surfing together every day. And we had this little group chat called The Turtles because every morning, like Dan would text us like, where are we surfing today? Like, and we'd get back to him at about, I don't know, he'd text us at about six or seven in the morning and we'd get back to him at about eight or nine and we're like, snap is pumping, let's go. And like, 
So we're just the turtles, but um, it was so sick. Like we literally had nothing on except surfing. We had no contests, no work, like no one could leave, no one could go anywhere. It was a wild time, but the waves on the Gold Coast were pumping like all year. 2020 was like a year of surf for the Gold Coast and we had some incredible surfs. Like, So it started with us just free surfing together and then we started to get a couple of really good sessions and we were like, hang on, maybe we should make like a hype surf film because the boys have always dropped like hype surf clips and forever like they've done that and it's just like something that the girls have never done. It's just been, you know, maybe there's that Nike 6.0 movie, like Leave a Message, that was probably like the last girls hype surf clip that was brought out and like now the teams don't do that because everyone's so separated and like everyone's got crazy schedules and we're like, well, let's just do our own hype surf clip. And then once we decided to do it, we were just so pumped up and it was like, yeah, let's go to Stratty. Let's go. We'll go down the coast. We'll snap a D-bar. Like every day we're just pushing each other and like surfing Kira and like, yeah, it was actually the best year ever. I was, um, it's heavy to say that because I know it was a lot of hard times for people everywhere else but for us it was just like we're stuck here we're allowed to surf we're gonna make the most of it and then the surfing movie came out and we are just so proud of it like we still just we we're we're so frothing we're gonna do surfing too and we haven't really thought about exactly what our plans are yet like we could even just you know get some international talent you never know but yeah, like it's just a a girls hype up film and it's yeah, it was a really fun project. It's really cool. And you know, because you have I mean, amazingly, most people live their whole lives trying to kind of, you know, cultivate a singular career path, but you've got two that you're operating on. So you being a internationally renowned DJ, were you automatically appointed music supervisor for the film soundtrack, <laughs> which is amazing. It's an amazing soundtrack. I'm curious if they're like, yeah. all right, you're in charge of music, Dimmy. <laughs> no, no way. If anyone, I think Steph was like probably the music director. Mm. Um, but the coolest thing about it was like, hey, we just want to pick like our favorite song. And we we literally had like, a viewing night so Dan um once we had all the clips piled up we we actually went over to Steph's house and we like put all the all of Dan's raw clips onto the big big screen and we all just were like cruising having a few drinks and like just enjoying like watching the clips and Steph's got the Sonos in the background like blasting just music to to go behind it and we were all like kind of picking songs on on the on the phone, like putting them on, and I was, and Steph actually put on Suicide Blonde for my section, and immediately, like everyone was just like freaking out, and then Nikki put on like the Missy Elliott one, and it was just like the music was too good, like we we just had to use it, and obviously it wasn't licensed, mm. <laughs> so we did it on YouTube for free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that always it always cracks me up because on our I don't have to fortunately it's not my job at the WSL, but I always get the like, oh, we're doing music licensing and uh, did you, you know, like like Matt Wilkinson used Jimi Hendrix. And I'm like, Yeah, I 
<laughs> yeah. I don't think he cleared it. Like, I have no idea. But like, yeah, we're 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 struggling yeah. over here. I love it. We just it. figured we're not making any money from it. We're just um, we're just sharing like beautiful art and like. I think if Missy Elliott saw like us ripping to her song, she'd be kind of stoked. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Like, yeah, I'm I'm all for yeah. that. Before we move off the topic of music, your DJ moniker is Shimmy Disco, right? Yep, the alter ego. Alter ego. So explain this yep. to me. Where did this come from? What does it mean? Yeah, so Shimmy Disco, um, my nickname used to be Shimmy, like before I started DJing. Um, yeah, the girls would just always call me Shimmy. I don't know. I think I used to just like whenever we'd go out and party, I'd just like do some crazy dance moves and they just nicknamed me Shimmy. So when I started DJing, I didn't know what to call myself. I was like, oh, I'll just be like, I don't know, DJ Dimity. Like Dimity is a unique name in itself. So I can just, yeah, I'll just call myself that. And then the girls are like, no, you got to what about shimmy? And I was like, oh, shimmy disco. And disco meaning like the club, like mm -hmm. discotheque. So basically like it's a shimmy party. So like shimmy in the club. <laughs> it's a great so, DJ. Yeah, it's just, and then now it's like my alter ego. So whenever shimmy's playing, I like to dress up and like put on a bit of a costume for like my performance it's more like the whole thing you know like put on the glasses dj with some sunglasses and yeah it's just like i like to perform and it's part of putting on a show and i think music is is a lot more open to doing crazy things like that and you can kind of be wear whatever you want to wear and yeah do whatever you want to do on stage i think that's right i think that's interesting i remember reading like years ago that um you know, Beyonce, her stage identity, she calls herself Sasha Fierce. And, yeah. <laughs> and but, but, and, you know, you know, as silly as it sounds, but like, I get it because I do think a lot of artists, and I'm interested to get your take on this too, are artists in part because they're, you know, sensitive individuals and sensitive individuals often are introverts, right? And, yeah. and public art is an, extroverted kind of activity and you have to almost like develop an identity or a muscle or some sort of like coat of armor to do the thing you know and i i'm curious yeah. do you do you just in your personal life do you think you're more of a an introvert or an extrovert and if you are an introvert do you think that the identity of shimmy disco helps you kind of be like oh i'm going to be performing in front of thousands of people i i, I have to yeah. i have to put on this like kind of you know, identity to, to, to be able to do it. Yeah. Well, I think I'm definitely an extrovert. Mm. Um, it, I'd be lying if I said I was an introvert because I just love talking to people and I love socializing and I'm very like, I just love hanging out with everybody and meeting new people. And yeah. So, but, but with the, um, shimmy disco, it's, I definitely believe that when I play a show, like I want to put on like a costume and I want to like, mm get into that alter ego where it's like I'm performing here I want to put on a show and I want to entertain people and I do feel a bit safer when I'm wearing my my glasses because it is pretty scary when you like standing up on stage and there's like a couple of thousand people at they're all staring at you like they're all waiting for you to play the music and it's like when I wear my when I wear my glasses I feel like it just impairs your vision just that little bit. So you yeah. can't, 
you, you don't see people looking at you so much. So, and then, yeah, so that's um, my nightshades, I call them. <laughs> I get it. it and it's a, it's a mask, right? In a way yeah. where you go, this, yeah. is, this is, as you point, as you, as you said, eloquently this is this is my costume yeah. are uh, uh getting some notes here in the chat our producer uh hendo is also a dj so so he's yeah. got some his own questions here um and those are uh have you or do you plan on producing remixes and or original tracks to your own music yeah so i have um started producing music i've produced music i've maybe started maybe two years ago I've never actually released a proper song yet. Like I've just wanted to get better and practice. But the song that um, I released my Roxy Welcome to the Team video, like I actually produced that one myself. So um, that was like, that was a cool intro for me because I'd made like a lot of, a lot of like housey sort of techno songs, which I do play at the, at the raves and the like festivals that I play here in Australia so like I've been playing my own music at at shows and like I just they're almost like test like little guinea pig songs I like I love playing them and seeing how the crowd reacts and the last song that I made that I played at this big rave that we have on the Gold Coast called Need to Freak Mm. and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and Dennis Salter was flown out from the UK to play the last one and he's like a magician like a house techno disco dj like kind of superstar so i warmed up for him and i got to play my own tracks and there was like i think there was a thousand people at that show and just watching them like kind of go off to the song that i'd made is like crazy so i'm actually going to just do some finishing like edits onto that and i'm going to release that one uh, pretty soon but yeah i've made some and I just love making all different kind of music too, like not just not just like techno or house. I want to do like, you know, like the song that I made for my surf edit was like a really slow kind of funky, almost disco-y track. So, yeah, I definitely want to get into it in the next few years, just get better and better, release some music. It's very cool. And he has a, a second question in here, which I don't understand, but you will. And the question <laughs> is uh, vinyl, Serato, or CDJs? So I I use strictly CDJs, Pioneer CDJs and Rekordbox. Like I'm, yeah, just whatever the club setup is, um, CDJs. But I do have two beautiful turntables in my living room and I have like a, like a Japanese Technics mixer that's just like, they're just art. It's just an art piece and I have a huge vinyl collection. So when I'm jamming at home I'll I'll mix vinyl and yeah I love that too because it's just it's it's art as well I love it now I, I, I am interested because I I again I don't put myself next to you I put myself way down the ladder <laughs> but 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 I think we're both pretty fortunate in that you know the way we get paid professionally is in a way the way we get to pursue our passions you know you were a professional surfer and a and a professional dj you're a musician and i i think that's amazing you know and i and i get to i get paid to you know orbit professional surfing which really excites me and i'm i, I feel very fortunate that i get to do that but i wonder too because you know a lot of times when you get to pursue your passion as a profession 
it is difficult to kind of create separation between the professional identity and the personal identity. And I'm wondering if that's ever been a challenge or if it continues to be a challenge for you, just in terms of being like, this is who I am, Dimity Stoyle, you know, the human being, this is my personal life. These are my friendships. These are my relationships. This is, this is who I am. And I have this job, which is a professional surfer and a professional DJ and shimmy disco or if you feel like it's really blurry, if the lines between the personal and the professional get blurry for you. Yeah, I think um, I think I just I've never really thought of it that way. I just feel like I'm I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And I think that when I'm surfing, I'm professional and I do my contests and I pre- prepare for those times, you know, do the right thing, like do less gigs, say no to gigs. I've learned to kind of make that a priority and I think with the DJing it's almost the same it's like everyone always wants you for this or that but now I'm learning to sort of like pull back a bit and just say Mm. no like what's going to be best for my career moving forward and saying yes or no to gigs like based on what I believe like the direction I want to go I'm starting to do that more now and I've kind of figured out yeah where I want to go and I think like the events that we've had on the Gold Coast, like there's been it's, there's been so many really cool shows that have happened, and the music direction that we're that we're almost pushing it to that place. And yeah, I just think it's doing whatever I want to do at the time, and I'm getting better at at knowing what I should and shouldn't do. So yeah, that's a hard question, actually. <laughs> no, no, I mean. It- of course, I think you answered it beautifully. But I also think it's it's probably just one of those things that I think we all just have to keep figuring out, right? Where we go like, okay, yeah. cool. Like, yeah. And I mean, I, and I, I bring this up a lot on the podcast, but I, I remember talking to Ryan Callanan about his injury. And he, he, he has like a, a, a pretty severe, you know, in, uh, knee injury that he has to continue yeah. to manage. And he, he brought this up, which I thought was really poignant. And he goes, you know, surfing is so hard to say no to. He goes, because it's so fun, right? Yeah. In the sense of yeah. you always want to get another wave. You're always up for another contest or another, you know, free surf or another trip or whatever. He goes, but, you know, at some point you have to, you know, moderate that and balance your life out. Otherwise, it, you know, sometimes you're forced to do that. And sometimes you have to come to that kind of conclusion on your own, which it sounds like for you in a lot of ways, you've been so true to yourself and who you are as a person that the professional world's actually come back to you in a way in a lot of in in a lot of ways which is really really cool to see yeah I definitely had to learn that and I'm still learning now like I'm definitely um you know I, I get pretty overwhelmed at times still where I just I've booked you know like a bunch of shows and then I have contests coming up and then WSL adds a couple more contests and it's like, whoa, that wasn't in the schedule. As so. we want to do, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I now I'm just um I just think to myself, like, okay, what do I what do I, what's gonna get me excited? And right now the challenger series gets me excited and also like bigger shows, like mm. I don't know, like the need to freak is actually the guys who started those events are on the Gold Coast, um, Little Fritter and Wongo, and they're two of my of my icons. Like, you know, they've they've really looked after me and they've um, they're almost mentored me and 
you know, just take me on that ride, like up into the world of music and playing bigger shows and just learning like from the best. So I'm definitely, and I mean, how could I forget Fisher? Like Mm. Fisher's a Gold Coast boy. Like he's one of my good friends and I'm so proud to see like how far he's gone with music and what he's done for house music on the Gold Coast and in Australia and around the world. Like he's really opened up so many doors for us, which people don't even really appreciate like how much he's he's actually done because he's just Fisher. He's the funny guy. Like, right, yeah. But what he's actually done is almost paved a way for musicians like DJs to make it big worldwide like from Australia and so that's really cool. I'm glad you brought him up because I'm sure he's yeah. a, a touch point for a lot of what <laughs> any musician from the Gold Coast does. And um, the funny thing is, anytime he comes up to me, and I swear to God, this is the truth, like over the last five years, anytime someone's brought Paul Fisher up to me, they've said, oh my God, Paul Fisher and the music and da, da, da. Oh, did you know that he surfs? I'm like, he's a really good surfer. <laughs> Actually, he's like, super, he he's like a re-rips. It's like, and they're always like really blown away because they always think it's kind of a bit of a novelty thing where they're like, oh, I, yeah. he probably can stand up. I'm like, no, no, like he like, he, he rips. He's a Kiwi it's, lord. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> he maybe had the, the, the best escape catch, uh, the best escape hatch from the qualifying series in the history of surfing, maybe. But good yeah, for him. it's so classic. Nah, love him. <laughs> so before this podcast, we put a, a feeler out to the Instagram community and the Twitter community for everyone that follows us at, at the lineup pod on Instagram and Twitter. We appreciate you uh, for questions for Dimity Stoyle, Shimmy Disco, oh. and whatever other identity that you, you want to run. <laughs> did you get crickets? or No, we <laughs> got the opposite crickets? of crickets. No, no, no. We, we've had to whittle them down. We've whittled them down to, oh, to three questions. Nice. Yeah, isn't that nice? You have quite the following. That's um, nice. And the first question is from Coco 257 who asks, will you be back on the WSL commentary team? So yes, actually, I'm very excited. I got asked to commentate over at G-Land and oh my gosh, that's like, that's a dream tour event right there. And um, that's actually a Roxy event too. So they, um, I'm going to be doing some work with them too, like just free surfing with the Roxy girls and commentating with Laura. Like, yeah, my, my co, co-commentary <laughs> with Partner in Crime so I'm actually so excited. That is such good news. And I know we were talking about this off camera, but I will be in G-Land with you. So we don't have to wait till oh, the US yes. Open. I'm going to see you in a couple <laughs> weeks. This is exciting. Perfect. I can't wait for G-Land. It's actually magic over there. It's the jungle. It's beautiful and can't wait to go back and surf. Never been there. Can't and commentate. And, and <laughs> so excited you're going to be there. That just made the podcast. Yes. Okay. Second question is from at Coco underscore Christ, two Cocos in here. If you had to choose one, this is kind of a cruel question, surfing or music, which would you choose? And producer Hendo's in here again. He's, just, he's all over the outline. Uh, Grammy <laughs> slash Triple J number one or world title. So I guess they go hand in hand. If you've you got to choose surfing and world title or music um, and uh, Grammy slash Triple J number one, which would you choose? <laughs> Uh, gosh, that's a really hard question. I mean, a world title in surfing would be like lordish behavior. 
that would be um that's definitely a dream but i think if you're going to make more money a grammy would probably be better <laughs> <laughs> fisher i mean i'm looking at fisher's new house and his new car and his <laughs> new he's always wearing the designer stuff now look at him he <laughs> surf surf dog to gucci guy or like i don't know louis louis v guy now <laughs> <laughs> It seems like I think music. Right. <laughs> I should stick with music. <laughs> I like it. All right. Third and final question that, again, we've whittled them down. So if your question didn't get answered, we appreciate your questions all the same. We'll do our best to answer them on social media. Third question is from at Jesse Giglio. Giglio, apologies. What advice would you give to your younger self? Ooh, I think just keep doing exactly what you're doing and just back your back your own decisions like i think if you're truly passionate about something no matter what it is that in in the long run that shows like if you might think that you're good at something but you're actually passionate about something else like i'd stick with what you're really passionate about and just keep dreaming dream big <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a great answer I love it. Okay, we are now down to the final segment, which is the lightning round. These are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. Okay. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? None. None. Wow. No hot beverages. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that's a first. I love this answer. Strictly margaritas. I love it. Burrito or pizza? <laughs> pizza. Last book you read? Oh, I actually don't read books. I'm pretty naughty like that. I'm bad at reading. <laughs> like, I left the books at high school. Okay. Best surf film ever? Surfing. Mm. One wave you never have to go back to? <laughs> I don't know. Ne none. <laughs> if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life? Snapper. Mm. Best person to share a lineup with? Steph. Worst person to share a lineup with. Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> Mick. <laughs> Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by. Oh, hanging with my friends. I love it. Uh, Dimini, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. Uh, we appreciate everything <laughs> you do. Good luck next week at the GWM Sydney Surf Pro. And I'll look forward to catching up with you in person uh, at the Quicksilver Roxy Pro G Land. Uh, it's been oh, a real honor, an honor to be your friend, honor to talk to you about this. And uh, <laughs> congratulations on all your success. I, we all look forward to watching you in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's absolutely an honor to come on here. And yeah, no, thank you for just listening to me talk shit <laughs> because I know I don't think it's very exciting, but I love that um, you guys do. So thank you. We absolutely do. Absolutely. So thanks, Demi. And uh, yeah, we'll see you down the track. Thank you. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with the Sunshine Coast's Dimity Stoyle. I hope you enjoyed it. The second stop on the 2022 WSL Challenger Series, the GWM Sydney Surf Pro, is currently underway and streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning, copywriting by Dan Willen, and additional support from Miguel Clemente. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. 
The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumaye, and the Jurakai Aboriginal people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.